0: Hey everybody, it's Talk Gnosis, and today we're talking about my favorite topic, Gnosticism, <laughs> and lots of things connected to it. And to to speak with us uh, is independent scholar, Gnostic uh, priestess, uh, Billy Steigerwald. We're going to be talking about some of her work, some of her philosophy, some of her thoughts on Gnosticism. Billy, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much. It's my pleasure.
0: Yeah. So so we'll get right into it. Which is, um, and I know that we want to talk more about ideas but uh, I I think this is an important question that that I always want to know, which is how did you first discover Gnosticism? How did you get into it? What what appeals to you in in Gnosticism? You know, why and how does it speak to you?
1: Right. So I've been interested in esotericism and, um, you know, magic, even um, starting at a very young age. Mm. And um, I spent years fooling around, well, having experiences, and that was a big part of it, but fooling around with Hermetic Kabbalah, and um, wasn't really open to Gnosticism when I was young, um, because I didn't understand it. Um, That's um,
0: okay, I still don't understand it, but sorry, continue, yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: Well, I was was exposed to a bit of it. Um, I knew someone as a teen, and they they, uh, they may have confused me a bit because I think they they came across, and I don't know that this was their real belief system, but they came across it as very dualistic in some ways. Mm. And um, that didn't resonate with me. But um, I would say, let's see, it's not been all that long. Uh, five, six years ago, I started getting really interested in Neoplatonism, actually. <laughs> and at the same time i was working through some of my own ideas um i think i've always been a philosopher that might seem pompous to say but um i i was working through some ideas regarding consciousness and um basically the idea of consciousness becoming inverted and becoming Mm -hmm. its opposite Mm -hmm. and um and thinking in terms sort of, of, uh, sort of diagrammatical layouts, just to sort of process the ideas. Um, and I was, you know, fiddling around with this. And I started realizing that this was pretty much what, um, what Gnosticism is aware of. But I had not really, I hadn't thought about it that way. I, um, I didn't understand that, for instance, this ignorant demiurge Um, was essentially, I mean, the essence of that is consciousness itself, or the absence of consciousness, not just evil, not saying that the world is evil. It's not the world that's evil. It is the false world that's evil, right? So that having that, um, it basically just my own thought processes met with Gnosticism and I suddenly became open to it and another thing that happened around that time was sort of like an unlocking of myth and the way that myth speaks um, philosophically even when it's veiled even in traditions before proper philosophy like with the Egyptian myths they have a really exquisite philosophy hidden in their myths and it's actually hidden through the fluidity of their myths of their theology, where one God can sort of transform into another and act as another principle in the universe. So, yeah. And then I started having more experiences because I was digging in more into doing work, um, doing what could be called like incubation, meditation and, um, and even doing some, uh, PGM spells just like one or two, but, uh, So yeah just having more experiences having more gnosis basically brought me to gnosticism Um, but then after that or you know slowly from there as i read more of these gnostic myths and just the texts um yeah really just the the nagmani um i i i realized that a lot of my experiences were actually directly related to what they're talking about and you wouldn't know you wouldn't necessarily know what they're referring to in these texts because they're not meant to be open for everyone
0: Yeah, and and sorry to interrupt, but I always, you know, sometimes I feel like we have half the story. I feel like those texts were were meant to be worked through very slowly with a teacher, you know, Uh, and uh, the teachers are all dead and the commentary is is long gone. But -hmm. but, hey, that kind of makes it more fun for us in the modern world. Uh, So sorry to interrupt. Please continue. Oh,
1: not at all. Not at all. And I mean, I could add to that and say that a teacher can also be a being that is not incarnate. Mm And by slowly reading these texts or reading them over and over again, reading them out loud also be very, very powerful. But um, the main thing is to not make these assumptions. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of being Gnostic and going through, um, you know, an initiate going through an initiatory process where you're actually digging in and transmuting yourself is it's absolutely essential to be asking questions all of the time yeah. and that's what you do also when reading these texts or when considering Gnosticism as a whole which is so it's such a broad category you know you can't really lump all of these texts together really but we do
0: I'm really glad that you said uh, asking questions all the time, because I think that that is a central demand of Gnosticism, that that you never actually reach that that absolute knowing that uh, that it always demands of you to keep asking questions, even when you you do ascend to the highest levels. It wants you to keep asking questions to uh, keep demanding to uh, to never accept. Um, but. Uh, how did you go from, from this interest in Gnosticism to, to becoming a Gnostic priestess? Uh,
1: so I um, I had a friend who had a friend on Facebook. And, uh, you know, we think of sometimes maybe Facebook in that world, the world of, of online communication is sort of like it can never really be like a real doorway. But that's not true. And we all know it because we meet amazing people and we, I mean hopefully actually really connect with them but anyway so i saw this woman a friend of a friend and there was just this instantaneous recognition and um and then i almost requested her friendship then she requested mine right before i did it and then um eventually i saw that she was taking on apprentices and um and it just you know i didn't know what she was looking for but um you know i said well do you think maybe i could be you know some like some? could i have that potential to do this and she said yes and it was a feeling of absolute rightness i mean i can't i can't explain it and i've i sort of entered i don't even want to get into it but i had you know sort of entered a, a group that was focused on magic at one point in my life and my experience with that really taught me what not to have you know what what to what what to avoid but um in this case it's not just an intellectual thing you don't just choose these things it's not like going to the store and picking it out you know same way with like a connection with some deity uh you don't like say oh like I like this God because he's cool and he wears this and he holds a sword and then you do it you know it's there is um multiple levels of a connection that will happen. And so, um, yeah, I started an apprenticeship and um, the tradition is uh, the French Gnostic Church. It's a particular lineage, a matriarchal lineage in that church. And um, I don't, I'm not really at liberty to discuss all the details of my involvement with the church at this time, but it's uh, something that I feel very deeply connected with.
0: Yeah. yeah. But can you tell us a, a little bit more for people who aren't familiar with this phrase, you know, the, without revealing any of the details, you, you don't want to or cannot reveal. Like, What is what is the French Gnostic tradition?
1: Yeah. So it is really the, uh, the first Gnostic church um, that initiated the modern Gnostic movement, um, as far as I know. Um, so it was established in the 1880s by Jules Doinel, um, and he had a mystical experience where he was visited by the spirits of Cathar Perfects. And he was living in Occitania at the time. So he's living in that area. Um, and, um, and, and also uh, a being which he called Aeon Jesus. Um, and he also you know, was in, was having experiences with uh, Sophia Akamoth um and um essentially was given this mission and um i am not the most um perfect person to talk about all of the historical details of this but um the french Gnostic church was established um very oriented in um the feminine holy spirit and the idea of the paraclete as Holy Spirit and as Eros, so it's interesting because it's a it's a there's a zizejetic sort of um, faceted uh, sort of um, inexplicable or unexpressible in, in, aspect to this. It's a, it's definitely a mystery. Um, yeah uh let's see <laughs> yeah
0: no no I, I think that i think that's a great introduction for for people who are not familiar with that phrase or or, or that movement and mm-hmm. you know dwinnell starts a lineage that that i i think in a very positive way i guess you could say splinters but it gets it gets spread around and i think that's beautiful um mm-hmm. and all sorts of different uh, churches and movements come come out of that lineage that he receives from from the aeon jesus and I think even people, Durell was was eccentric, might be the nice nice way to put it. You know, you, you can even read some of his contemporaries, uh, Papu, uh, you know, in his letters, mm-hmm. uh, kind of talks about, you know, this guy, he's, he's a bit of a nutter, right? And this is this is coming from someone who hangs out with a lot of esotericists. So, so I think kind of modern esotericists, even modern Gnostics, even modern Gnostics. Uh, who, who have the, the the French lineage sometimes are like oh you know that uh that's one L guy he was he was uh, the, um, uh, the the he was a bit eccentric and uh, I, I don't really know what to think about him. But if you actually dive into him and unfortunately not much of his writing is available in English and, and I don't read yeah. French, but, but what I have read is he had a very sophisticated, advanced um, understanding of Gnosticism, of yeah. cosmology. Uh, and as you said, of the role of the feminine, of the role of Eros. Um, and uh, this is extra impressive because this is before Nag Hammadi. Uh, this is before there, there's a lot of Gnostic texts exactly. out there. Um, so it's uh, no, I, I, I think it's uh, I, I think it's a, a really uh, awesome. I think he's awesome, and I, and I think everything that came from him was awesome. And um, when you're talking about some of these feminine aspects, you know, he did uh, um, ordain uh, uh, women as as clergy as bishops. Yes. Yeah,
1: yes, that's an important thing to mention for sure. By the way, there is this. Um, I don't know if this is able to be seen, but this is an English translation. Um, so is that visible? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. OK, great. So if anyone is interested in learning more, this has a collection of his writing um, and uh, some of the other um, uh, patriarchs of the French Gnostic Church as well. Yeah.
0: Sure. Um, and, and you know that. Um... That, that uh that feminine aspect you know some of them also expected the the messiah to come soon who, who would be a mm-hmm. woman an incarnate of Sophia um and uh so that that's you know they were so orientated towards uh the feminine in their tradition uh which is you know pretty impressive for the 1800s uh that they expected that that the redeemer would be a woman who'd be coming soon unfortunately it, it doesn't seem like like she arrived but uh, you know fingers crossed you know um
1: well we perhaps can, we can it's not that. just one.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, I think there is something. Uh, so talking about Eros mm-hmm. and about the feminine aspect, if you look at Eros, the earliest the earliest Eros was a cosmic Protagonos god, right? So, so a being that was first to be born, that was self-created, that sort of almost inseminated Themselves into this um, primal chaos and then was born as light and they're androgynous and there's a male and a female aspect to that. And um, I think that when we think about eros, we need to think about that. And that sort of resolves what might seem to be a contradiction. Because in this book that I just showed you, you have the paraclete being referred to as eros, and then you have the Mm paraclete being referred to as the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, that might be confusing. But um, I think that the feminine Holy Spirit is essentially continuous and non-dual. So when we talk about these things, we can't really put them into these boxes. Um, But the thing about the feminine um, angle, let's say, that we need to bring into, because this is one of the, this is the, probably the most important thing about the French Gnostic church is actually bringing this. And for me and my matriarch, it is about bringing this feminine Holy spirit into, um, the awareness of those who are ready for it. Um, but what that really means is not necessarily like pushing, like the feminine as, as something that should be supreme and dominating the masculine. It's actually about this, um, polarized non-dually duality excuse me it's about the zizity. so it's um it's bringing this angle that has been sort of suppressed for many centuries um or just not cultivated depending on how you want to look at it but I think yeah we could simply say it's been suppressed (laughs) um bringing that into the light of day so that we can not just revel in one side of that but actually bring the entirety into being because you know you can't have one side and have it function properly so you know if you're um the, the masculine divine it doesn't do well on its own it's lacking love love is the thing that connects the two so it's about bringing this feminine um angle out and actually i think for me, I think it's about articulating these things philosophically,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as well as creating pathways to mystical experience and, like, uh, you know, shedding light on these ancient texts. It's actually about um, bringing that in, and and then through that, we actually have a complete picture again. Yeah. So it's not a. Anyway, yeah, I think I, I said
0: it. Oh, no. Well, you know what, uh, basically, my, my next question was just for you to, to keep to keep on that track, keep elaborating. Mm. I was wondering if you could tell us more about you know, how and why Gnosticism can, can be, should be, would be relevant to the modern world. Because I, I think a lot of people look at these dusty old texts and are like, well, you know, that's that's from 2000 years ago. What, what does it mean for for today?
1: Right. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it does seem to be, I don't know, do you think it's becoming more popular just in the past, like, two years? Yeah. Seems like it, it's.
0: um It is. Uh, th- th- that's definitely my perception. And uh, I, well, you know, it's, uh, I asked you a question and, and, and perhaps, perhaps you, you can agree, but it, I, I think it's because we live in Gnostic times. I think Gnosticism is, is probably becoming more relevant uh, because it, it's becoming more obvious that, that we live in a Gnostic world, but please uh, uh, continue.
1: A Gnostic world. Well, I think, I mean, I would, I'd be interested. I know you want me to to speak, but I, I'd be interested in hearing more about why you think it's a Gnostic world, and maybe I can respond to that or yeah. play off of
0: it. Well, you know, I think Gnosticism comes from uh, a blending of many cultures, uh, that it comes from the death of empire, that, you know, I'm not, uh, I, I think dualism, so-called dualism in, in Gnosticism is, is very interesting, where I don't see dualism, but I do see dialectical monism, you know, that yeah. there is a, uh a, There there is a dualism that I think has to be worked through to to reach uh, uh, monism. And I I do I spend a lot of time on the show kind of dwelling on the more maybe positive aspects of Gnosticism is too much Mm -hmm. of an exaggeration. But I, I think that the 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 mid 20th century, you know, existentialist reading of Gnosticism actually does have a lot to offer us, even though, you know, a lot of scholars, contemporary practitioners kind of poo poo it. Um, and, and I think people are asking themselves a lot of questions about the survival of humanity, about identity, about their own identity, about mm-hmm. culture, about society uh about the dis the seemingly disintegrate uh uh you know about these things uh kind of um disintegrating around us yeah. I, and i think that is is kind of a a a fertile ground actually for gnosticism for uh, to grow right uh you know uh seeds grow best in shit. um <laughs> yeah well there's <laughs> and, also
1: uh, not only the dissolution of things there's like a establishment of further orders which is very similar to what is spoken of in in quite a few texts, right? Like the uh, Trimorphic Protonoia, where the Archons are, you know, desiring to build these further kingdoms of chaos. Um, And yeah, so there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of excitement about this whole Matrix thing and like, there was a while back everyone was uh, excited about this computer simulation idea, which is supposed to be a metaphor, but I think some people were like taking it a little bit too far, <laughs> you know, in terms of, you know, they sort of forgot that that was supposed to be a metaphor and, and instead of actually thinking of it like a giant computer of some other being, which I mean, Hey, who knows, like I'm not saying that's not possible. I mean, there are worlds within ourselves that, you know, probably can't imagine us but um yeah I think that those things are stimulating an interest in Gnosticism and there's definitely a lot of people that are digging in and um really looking at these texts Um, but then there does seem to be you know like with anything a lot of people that want to sort of get a quick um read on these things and like wikipedia and even a lot of academics don't really help so i think there might be a bit of a misunderstanding about gnosticism part of it's just a lot of overgeneralizations. Yeah. um one thing that i i see is um now i guess i'm sort of straying from this topic but i see people um focusing on the you know the demiurge talking about the evil demiurge etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i don't see the word evil ever in these texts
0: it doesn't appear in any of the the attacks uh, the, as a descriptor for the demiurge it's not even in you know some of the uh it's not in the Apotheca of john um, right. You know, where, where you have uh, we're not just talking about Valentinian texts or or texts that are more ambivalent or even positive towards uh, the demiurgic figures. Uh, it's not even in what people think of as as the hardcore uh, negative world-hating uh, Gnosticism, which you know I don't I also don't really see in the Apocryphon of John. But no, it's uh, evil is, is is not a uh, descriptor given to to the demiurge even in the most in the, para, the, the paradigm of Gnostic texts.
1: Exactly and but i mean there's a it's not just about not demonizing the de- demiurge it's uh i mean there are beings i you know i believe there are actually individual beings that are like acting in a capacity you know of this sort of dis- maybe not destructive so much as suppressive demiurgical they're acting in a in a demiurgical capacity in a negative sense but um it's the point is like this is not about just labeling things like good and bad it's about understanding um hypostasis and it's about continually digging further and further and um so it's not about evil it's really about ignorance yes and then when what it what is it really about then it's about consciousness and um So the focus of Gnosticism shouldn't be on um, negative rejection of things. Because how do you know what to reject if you haven't seen what should be? So it's about, uh, you know, exploring and, and having experience, direct experience of the divine. And when you do that, there's a process, there's like a Gnostic process that brings you closer and closer and closer to that. I, I feel. I mean, there's many, but it's there. It's all the same at the core, um, which is, you know, taking away the constructs, the codification. Codification is important, and we need to use it. But taking away the constructs and seeing what's actually behind them, and continuing to do that, it's like a burning away or a purification process. But um, there's the process of gnosis, and then there's what is revealed. So, this sort of underlying structure of being is revealed. And that's where you get into um, these Gnostic texts, because I think that what they were doing is they were experiencing and then they were recording.
0: Yes. Yeah, and and I think the experience comes first, and then, then all the philosophy uh, comes next. Um, and uh, and you mm-hmm. know, for, for all my world-hating duelists out there, like don't get me wrong, right? Uh, the, just like Billy was saying, that uh, the world is messed up, but it's not necessarily because of uh, direct evil intent, but uh, because of ignorance. I would also say control, right? We we see the the demiurge and the archons. When I say Gnosticism, I always mean the Secret Book of John, the of no. John. It's, but uh, uh, you, you know, there, control is well, is, I think, is a recurring theme in that book, along mm-hmm. with, with ignorance. Um, so uh, uh, are there any other major misconceptions about Gnosticism that, that you wanted to tackle while we're on the topic?
1: Well, one thing is, like, don't listen to me. I mean, you could listen to me, but, you know, try to dig in for yourself, because that's an- another problem, I would say, is just people wanting to just sort of Um, take bits and pieces from someone else and Gnosticism is about not having an intermediary that's going to tell you how to process these things now not to say that you shouldn't have a teacher if that's right for you but I think that a good teacher will teach you how to fish for yourself rather than just you know
0: No, I, I agree, and you know when I said earlier we're we're kind of missing that tradition of teachers with the text, uh, You know I don't mean it as a the kind of stereotypical guru, right? Who who is going right. to give you the secret knowledge that you can't get from the text because because it's missing because they've kept it from you or because you're too dumb, right? A, a good teacher is a uh, is is a caring friend. Uh, a good teacher is someone who's uh, supporting you in your own gnosis. A good teacher mm-hmm. is someone who's helping to create the container uh, and the understanding for you to uh, have. Gnostic experiences. A good teacher is someone who, in a non abusive way, calls you out on your own bullshit, right? Uh, and, and I know there's a lot of abusers out there who uh, uh, deliver quote unquote tough love uh, in a quote unquote spiritual relationship, and all they're doing is abuse. But at the same time, you know, that's wrong. And uh, I don't want to get across the idea that that's what I'm advocating. But uh, I think Gnosticism says to us that. Um, we're constantly trapped in our in our own illusions and we're constantly buying our own BS um Mm -hmm. and it could be helpful to to have an actual loving uh teacher and friend to to occasionally poke you or uh point out to you when you're when you're lying to yourself because Mm -hmm. we're just constantly doing it I think that's a very Gnostic message that uh we're we're extremely good at lying to ourselves at, at all given times um so we hear a lot about Gnosis and Gnosticism. Uh, and and you, you've already touched on this, but I was wondering if you can elaborate. But to quote Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it? And, and you mentioned uh, uh, syzygies can, can you tell us about love and syzygies and what a syzygy is?
1: Yeah, so I see the syzygy beyond the absolute unknowable, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is sometimes in Gnosticism called abyss, um you have or you know several other names for it as well but i like abyss personally because i always had a feeling about that even before actually that's another thing going way back i mean so much of what i connected with when i was younger was very gnostic without me knowing but so yeah abyss is what i prefer but you know beyond this apophatic divine being that we you know we don't we don't really discuss, right? We can't discuss it. Um, the zizig is the center, and in in between the zizig is is love. But what the zizig is is a harmonious, or I mean, a harmony. It, it's almost sort of demoting it. It is a polarity of complementary beings that are also principles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose saying they are beings is also sort of um, maybe it's sort of minimizing that as well. It's basically like you could say cosmic principle, but they are um, or universal principle, but they are um, they are um, more than just principles. They're alive, yeah, right. Um, so in Gnosticism historically, I mean, I'm sure your viewers have sort of explored these ideas. But if you go back to Simonian Gnosticism, I think that that's where this was really established, um, at least you know, in textual way. Because I think there was some mysteries that went on far be far before Simon. But um, you have mind and you have thought the mind is um is that sort of unknowable abyss but yet it it is still a part of of uh being when thought comes into being so it is like the neutral backdrop thought is this feminine power it's the power of being of experience of expression and you know the first zizaji and also the most encompassing in simonian gnosticism is the mind and the thought and it's actually very interesting how similar that is to tantric theology
0: yeah Um, if you think about uh, simon and helen who have a a tantra i think what people think of uh if they're not familiar with tantra uh in the west as a stereotypical tantra relationship but um uh, please yeah continue
1: well yeah simon and helen i mean that is like i said that they weren't like persons they weren't necessarily individuals, but they are. And that's another important point. Um, This is like, mind is like, you know, unknowable. And then you have thought, which is actually very much knowable, it is experience itself. But it's also, you know, an individual, it's a human woman, or anything, really. I mean, thought is, is all of it. Um, thought with a capital T is everything, but that it's important to not just sort of vaguely say this is everything and then take out the individual. And I think that that's part of why I connect with Simon so much is that he was, he was focused on theosis. And that's what he was teaching. And people think he was probably a lot of people think he was a megalomaniac. But I think what he was doing was sort of enacting in a sort of a ritualistic and a mythic um way these principles within his own life or maybe even retroactively sort of like seeing his life through that lens
0: yeah yeah uh, and i think a lot of people uh the modern Gnostics, people interested in Gnosticism just have Nag Hammadi in, in in their brain, right? And even though we don't have a proper copy of, of the Great Declaration, you know, we have the phraseologist's rendition of it. And it really should be read by and embraced by everybody who is interested in Gnosticism, because even what we have of it is, is quite beautiful and, and powerful. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm really glad that you, you're pointing back to to Simon. Um, do you feel like you have a mission with your Gnostic work? And if so, what what is it?
1: yes um it's well you know it's a synthesis of of the process that i've been going through my entire life of developing understanding um so of course it's my own gnosis and then it's connecting with the with the tradition which i see as not something that can just offer me it it's not there to offer me something it's not there to give me something it's there because i well because i I think it's there for us to participate in and we should be thinking about how we can participate in something that we love. Yeah. And um, so I don't love it because I think that it's perfectly expressed in this world and that everything is right there and it's all we need. Um, I think it's an ongoing process. Um, I yeah i I want to talk about love um that's a big thing i think that we are we have been lacking a philosophy of love um and i don't even know if we ever really had one and when i say love of course it's like universal compassionate love but also romantic love um and how can we how can we ignore something that's at the very center of our being, whether we want to deny it or not? Um, it's, it's something that is constantly sort of pushed to the sidelines and considered unimportant, or it is put on a pedestal and it is said that it's something, you know, unachievable in real life.
0: Yeah.
1: But, um, there's not really a clear understanding what even is love. Um, so talking about, love what is it and also differentiating between love and the human heart and the metaphysics of the heart and um, how the heart functions as a subtle organ Um, and and branching off from there work with what is sometimes called the subtle body is is something it's very central for me I've been doing it since I was really young in fact, even as a child, I would do spontaneously do visualizations to try to cure my headaches. But um that is, is actually really important, I think, to the mission of the French Gnostic Church because it's um it is said that the Paraclete is the savior of the flesh. Well, what does that mean? You know, it's it's basically reconceiving the material world because it's not it's we're not meant to try to escape from this and like you know just just eject ourselves from it that's not how as much as liberation is great it's a great goal how do we actually liberate ourselves?
0: And of course, you, you can't see the future. I mean, maybe you can, and, and that would be even better. But um, uh, the, the, give, give me your best educated guess. Uh, it's a topic that, that we already examined about living in Gnostic times and noticing over the last couple of years that there does seem to be more more interest in Gnosticism. Do you, do you think that this will, will grow or do you think it's a, a temporary mini-fad? Do you think that there's ways that we can help it grow? What's your what's kind of your opinion and your guesses about the, the near future of, of Gnosticism?
1: Um, I, it does seem that it is uh, growing, and um, I don't want to sound snobby, but I don't think it's meant to be for everyone. No, in the sense that when you when you aren't ready, um, even a wonderful thing can be wrong. So I, I sort of hope that it doesn't become a huge trend because. You know we all know what happens when something becomes a trend but that being said it's good if the information is out there if there's a lot of dialogue um and if people are just you know people that maybe 10 years ago would never have even heard anything about it encounter it and it unlocks something for them so it's it's really it's not about like proselytizing like i don't want to just spread the word and make sure did you hear about gnosticism it's it's more about making sure that what content we are creating and commentary on the texts and um, you know everything that, that that's quality that we so I hope that it develops within the individuals that are that are already um, you know resonant or that are meant to be.
0: Yeah. Billy Steigerwald thanks so much for coming on the show and we hope that you uh, come back I know that there's uh, a number of works that, uh, that you've already finished and some that you're working on that uh, we'd love to talk to you about uh, before we let you go we have to do our commercial because of the iconic world we live in patreon.com slash for as little as a dollar per piece of media per month you can need to help keep us going uh, you get early access to the shows you can also do paypal.me slash for one time donations Billy thanks again so much bye everybody
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh,
0: it's a real pleasure.